Hello, welcome to Blaze Pod. My name is Ben. It is Tuesday, the 16th of April. Finally, ready, I think, to talk about that sickening draw with Millwall this weekend. So, yeah, I've got uh, I've got Jay Blades Analytic on the line, and do you know what? I feel after recording this that uh, yeah, slightly more upbeat. So, we're gonna we're gonna go through some group therapy today. Uh, not relive the game too much because I don't want to relive it too much, to be honest. But at least go over some of the things that uh, I guess led to such a near disastrous result and uh and hopefully some things that can be done to fix them i suppose and just generally looking at the bigger picture for the season so yeah well i guess congratulations if you're brave enough to listen to this so thanks for making it through the first 50 seconds hopefully you will make it through the next 35 minutes or so as well so yeah as always thanks for downloading and uh yeah hopefully the blades back at it on friday with uh, with a much better performance and a much better result but yeah thanks again for listening here we go So hello mate, how are you doing today? It's what is it? It's Tuesday, so we're a, we're a few days removed from this weekend's events. How are you feeling? I, I've recovered. Mm. I've I've recovered somewhat. Uh, the the yeah the you know the positivity has, has gone up a notch or two from <laughs> post Saturday, uh, but it yeah there is still a tinge of disappointment. I think in the air. I think that's fair. Yeah, I was. Um, I mean, I, it was an absolute sickener. I just, uh, yeah, my brother said this to me, and and I was like, oh, I'm not sure. But then I thought about it. I was like, no, he, I'm pretty sure he's actually right. He said he hasn't. I think he said he hasn't felt that bad with United since we lost to Huddersfield in the playoff final. And yeah, <laughs> I agree. I can't think of anything that's, that's made me feel like such a like gut punch as that one. As uh, yeah, Simmonson missing the millionth penalty of that shootout did i mean you know <laughs> you think about like you know i was at swindon when we were like three nil down in 10 minutes in that playoff semi-final and lost like seven six on aggregate and you know then you got like the villa game recently that was a bit of a you know kick in the teeth as well but yeah to be so close to three precious and to be honest undeserved points um yeah and then yeah. to have it slip from your grasp in what like the 95th minute 96th minute something like that and yeah then you then you throw in the like the emotional factors of like there was at least one or two fouls like probably 30 or 40 seconds before Millwall scored where it would have been a free kick either on the edge of our area or uh Medine was dragged down as well like just before that I think basically in the corner flag and yeah it's just um yeah, immensely frustrating, and uh, yeah, I basically just checked out Twitter for a couple of days. So, apologies if anybody's got any uh, unrequited arguments in my replies there that I've not been able to get back to because I was just like Saturday evening. I was like, you know what, Wednesday are not going to take any points off Leeds, so that's just going to compound my frustration. I'm just going to check out and uh, yeah, just just give myself a few days, few days of space to recover, I suppose. Because yeah, my. My instant kind of reaction was like, that's it. We we have basically, they, there goes our chance of automatic promotion. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of I kind of still feel that way, I think. I know quite a few people did come back and was like, no, you know, there's, do, do you know, mate, there are optimistic United fans out there that are not me and you. <laughs> they do exist and they were very kindly messaging me on Twitter saying, no, no, come on, we're still, it's only three points and uh, all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like 
I just feel that's going to be hard to recover from. Obviously, it's now a three-point gap to lead, so we're relying on them uh, losing at least one game. Um, we've lost any margin for error, I think, because I think we will now t- need to win all four of our remaining games. Uh, Basham is injured. Billy Sharp is injured. Obviously, John Egan misses the next game as well. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, what a difference a week makes. Everything uh, looked very, very rosy after Preston and... Uh, that's significantly less so right now, I think. Uh, do, do you want to try and talk me around, or are you of a similar mind? Um, I think I was of a similar mind. Um, I, I, so I'm, I don't want to you know, take United's situation out of context, but I'm kind of comparing it to the Premier League season as well, the title race there, mm. where there is now an outcome which seems, I wouldn't say certain, but you know, I think the same as Leeds. Uh, it, almost a Man City situation where everyone thinks logically, statistically, they should probably go on and win all their remaining games. But there is this underlying feeling in, in at the end of this season, at the end of every season, there is a twist and a turn. Mm. Um, right now, those those I mean, all right, Leeds lost against Birmingham, so there's a slight twist there. But it felt like that was the first significant turn, I would say. Yeah, because we've both we've both been trading places over a couple of weeks. You know, we beat Leeds, and the next week we lost, and they went. At, that felt significant because of the amount of games remaining to go three points clear. It's a whole game clear. Um, you know, with only four to play, you're starting to look at the fixtures left. And you naturally do this as a fan. And you look at Leeds and you think that that cushion now means that they could even draw that Villa game. Whereas before a draw would have not been good enough for them potentially. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, I'm not saying Leeds will play for a draw, but it just it just adds that element of comfortable to their situation where it was pressure before. But uh, there's, there's the psychological aspects in play, isn't there, of not being in second again and chasing and perhaps just doing our job might make this easier. Um, I, I, I don't think it's over just yet. But, you know, if nothing else, we're trying to be, you know, I have people telling me to be level-headed because I pretty much wrote out the same message that you did, which was stupid, really. I should never have wrote that out on Twitter <laughs> because the absolute furore of reaction, both agreement and disagreement was, yeah, my phone was on blazing up, shall we say. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're level-headed, right? So we're level-headed, but it also means we're realistic as well. Mm. Uh, you know, there's positive, but then there's, there's overly positive. And, and statistically... Leeds now have a what seventy six, seventy seven percent chance of, of finishing in the top two. That is that is what I think most models say, and I can't disagree with that. When you look at the fixtures remaining, when you look at the form, the situation, the XG type things, Leeds are even though they lost the game against Birmingham, are in on better form than us, especially going forward. Uh, they look like the side who can win more games. I, I don't think we look like a side that can win all four games in a row. That's not saying we won't because things change very quickly in this league and United have shown that two or three times this season already. But I don't think right now we look a side that's capable of winning four games in a row. It's that, for me, the the reason I'm like, automatic is probably a step too far now is is just that removal of um, leeway, I guess, and margin for error. It's that we will we will almost certainly need to win all four games. Um, and as you say, I mean, that that is that's pretty unlikely. That's, that's going to be hard, even with... You know, four opponents who basically have nothing to play for now. All four of them won't. Uh, you know, Forrester yeah. eight points off the playoffs. Hull are basically done for as well uh, in terms of you know meaningfulness of their season. Ipswich will be down. Stoke their season finished weeks ago. So, you know, motivation wise, we should have the edge there. Quality wise, we should have the edge there. But just winning four games in a row is going to be an ask. But yeah, I guess I guess the glass half full take is 
kind of what I just said. Like, there's no reason why we can't beat any one of those four teams. And then you string Absolutely. them together, you never know. And and even if you look at, and we'll come on to the actual Millwall game in a moment. Even if you look at the players that that drop out, so Egan will only miss one game. You know, you figure Stearman will probably just come in and, and play his position. Pretty yeah. pretty decent trade off, to be honest. You know, Stearman was fine last season. Basham, you know, we've seen already that Craney can deputise very well for Basham as a right centre back. Gets forward well, defends well. Possibly not a huge loss, even if he doesn't play again this season. As much as I, you know, hope that he does, I hope he's absolutely fine. I hope he's playing again on Friday. But yeah, it doesn't seem such a big deal. Sharp, I don't know. Like, I- I'm trying not to sound sacrilegious here. But I know what you're going to say because I'm thinking the same in my head. I'm kind of interested to see maybe how Hogan does in uh-huh. Sharp's place. Obviously, I would much rather have Sharp playing, but it hasn't been super effective in the last, I don't know, three, four, five games, something like that. Some of that is just the nature of the way those games have gone. And he has worked hard. And I mean, you know, look at the Leeds game, it's fantastic. Um, uh, it was very, well, it was good at Preston, I thought. But yeah, I'm kind of interested to see if Hogan takes that opportunity if indeed that's how it goes so it's not like our team has been gutted as I I kind of felt it had been at full time when you sort of think about it it's like do you know what we could probably take those losses in personnel assuming they're out for a couple of games are you similar mind I am I am and I'm glad you've said the sharp thing because I was gonna probably not bring it up because I don't know if I'm brave enough after Saturday (laughs) but um it's fair. There's, Billy Sharp has done nothing particularly wrong yeah. in recent games where our form has not been great. We haven't been creating Billy Sharp chances, which is why he's not been scoring the amount of goals he once was. Mm-hmm. And he's worked hard and he's pressed well and he's actually held the ball up well and tried to link play well. Yeah. However, because his attributes are, are that, maybe he's not contributing. When the team is struggling like this in terms of going forward, maybe Billy Sharp isn't contributing to the effectiveness as much as another player could mm-hmm. i'm trying to word this in the right way so i'm not trying to be negative about sharp but i'm trying to say that because we're struggling to get our final third domination and get our center backs overlapping and get the ball out wide and overlap and overload and all these terms we know about united i'm not going to geek anyone out but all these terms when we're not able to do them perhaps a different style of forward i.e scott hogan who we can simply play like just like the deep when Medine's on the pitch, whether we like it or not, it gives us a different way of playing. Yeah, And we'll come on to if that's effective or not. But Hogan also gives us a different way of playing. Um, we can go into the channels a little bit more. We can maybe play on the counter. If we do sit back, because we are 1-0 up, we have an added threat going forward mm. when the player's in transition. He's also a very good penalty box striker himself. So if we do create chances, he's there as well. Um, I, I think he's probably better in terms of getting shots off himself. So, you know, if we think of a, a Billy Sharp type of... He's, he's always a first-time shot, isn't it? Or a touch yeah. and a shot. Whereas I think Hogan can have a little dribble and, and, and get a yard of space and have a shot. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think the stats prove he gets more shots off per game than Sharp does. So does McGoldrick. These players are, can create chances for themselves as well as beyond the end of stuff. So I, I am, I'm interested as well. I'm not sure if it will be. I think it probably will be Medina McGoldrick, mm. um, perhaps. Uh, although there is an argument... That, uh, I would say more valid than, than when we last spoke about maybe McGoldrick in the 10, you know, maybe from Duffy's ineffectualness. But it, it's certainly interesting that I think these changes are, are forced upon us and it, it's sad to see those players out. But I'm like you, I, I don't feel as though they'll burden us that much overall. And if anything, it could help to shape a freshness to the approach. 
Yeah, I like that. That's a very upbeat way of putting it, and not and not ridiculously, you know, uh, ridiculously upbeat. I think there's there's a lot of merit in what you said there. So uh, let's come on to the actual game itself, then, as much as I'd really rather oh. not. I think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't think we played particularly well uh, at all. I mean, there's a couple of uh, I guess decisions that we made that uh, we can come on to in a moment, but yeah, went ahead when. Um, Flerku did turn up a bit more in this game, at least for sort of an hour or so. Uh, basically got on the end of a McGoldrick through ball. Very, very smartly took made the most of the opportunity, I thought. It was, this is, I think, the second or third time this season I've gone bananas at Fleck passing the ball. They're like, no, why have you not shot? And then realised he's just picked out somebody for a tap-in. So that was essentially <laughs> what he did. Medine knocked it in for 1-0. Medine had obviously come on earlier for the injured Basham, which we talk about in a second. Um... And to be honest, you know, I didn't really create many other opportunities outside of that. Uh, no. Millwall, as they do, get the ball forward very quickly. Uh, they were getting a lot of joy with crosses, a lot of uh, uh, overload. I don't know if overloads is the right right word, but certainly spare men at the back post. I mean, before any of the carnage started happening, um, you know, they had like players getting on the end of things at the back post. They had a guy basically controlling the ball on our six-yard box and bringing it down and coming inside. And you're like, what on earth's going on here? Like, it was just yeah. all over the place. It ended with, uh, or should I say, it all started with um, Egan punching a header off the line for a penalty, uh, which Ben Marshall very generously missed by hitting the bar. And at this point, I thought, "Oh my God, it's actually going to happen. We're going to get away with this because we're all over. It. We're completely at sea." And as soon as Egan handballed it and went off, I was just like, "That's it. There goes automatic promotion because this is one all. We have ten yeah. men, so we're not winning this game." And uh, I couldn't remember how many games Egan was going to miss for that, but it is only one game for uh, denying a goal-scoring opportunity. So he missed that. You think we're going to get away with it, uh, and then in the ninety-fifth minute, um, and Henderson made a few more saves in between, by the way. Uh, yeah. But yeah, another another sort of header from about six yards, which he managed to push away from goal, but unfortunately straight onto the forehead of uh, Jake Cooper, the world's deadliest central defender, who equalised. Much to everybody's frustration, horror, shock, etc. Now, there's a few things here that happened that were. I don't know. I think questionable in terms of like you can question them if a uh, decision making. Um, I'll start with I'll start with the Egan red card. So, did you think that was a good decision by John Egan to punch that away, regardless of what we know now, or rather, if you set aside what we know now? It's hard because I've only seen the the problem with the Quest highlights and at the game is you only see your view, don't you? So it's really hard to see if his body position was contorted enough that he had no chance of getting his head to it. Do, do I, let me put it this way. If he had literally no physical chance of doing anything other than, than saving it with his hand to stop it going in, it was the right decision. Because at, at that, for me, at that time of the game, you and it, and it worked technically. Yeah. I know we ended up conceding after, but it technically worked. You, you you stop the definite chance of a goal and you put it in the chance of a penalty, which we know from XG is about 76% chance of a goal. Yeah. So you have increased the chances of it not being a goal. I'm not saying that went through John Egan's head because he's not a geek like me, but that there's no denying that the, you know, the facts say that that is the, the correct decision if you can't do anything other than handball it. The, obviously, the, the caveat to that is, well, that means he's, he's out of the game for the next spell of 10 minutes pressure. Mm. Um, you know, it's almost a double whammy, isn't it? Because if they would have scored the penalty, 
And then they would have been at 1-1 coming at 10 men without probably our best header of the ball because Jack seemed a little off it. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, you know, And he's probably been rushed back, quite frankly, so I'm not criticising Jack, but I don't think he was his same combative self in this game. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I, I, So you, you lose your most aggressive penalty box defensively header of a ball because he's, he's done that. So probably overall the wrong decision, but I think the outcome influences whether you think that's a good call or not, quite frankly. I guess. At the time, uh, as soon as he'd done it, I thought, that was stupid. Why have you done that? Take the goal. Yeah. There's, it's the 83rd minute, something like that. So there's 10, 15 minutes of this game left. We've already been struggling with 11 men, frankly, for about 20 minutes. Now we have to... Now, basically, we have no chance of equalising if and when they score this penalty. Uh, and, yeah, we have absolutely no chance of going and getting a winner ourselves. And, yeah, we're probably going to be under the cosh even if, um, uh, even if they do miss it. So... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was a. I thought just take the goal, take the goal, yeah. and you know, accept we've got ten minutes to try and win the game, which which should be enough, frankly, against nineteenth, twentieth place Millwall. We should be able to rally and go and get another goal in fifteen minutes, or you know, that's what I thought anyway. So, yeah, that was that one. The, the other one um, was Gary Medine coming on for Chris Basham after what maybe twenty five minutes. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, very. Very unusual. I mean, you could hear the the, the hum around the ground as this happened because you saw Basham had been struggling for a few minutes. And you sort of think, well, Craney's on the bench. That's an easy one. Then I look up and I'm like, is that Stearman coming on? I'm like, okay, fair enough, you know, whatever. And then I was like, oh, no, it's actually Gary Medine, which is unusual because Gary Medine, as far as I'm aware, does not play centre-half, um, <laughs> which indicated a, a complete change of formation. So we went to... Uh, a back four, I believe. Um, and Medine went up top with, yeah, McGoldrick uh, dropping off, I suppose, into a... I don't know. I, I couldn't quite work this out. Was he was he dropping like all the way into a midfield three with, with oh, Duffy yeah. staying up there? But I don't know. It, I, I kind of I kind of got it because we'd obviously... You'd obviously thought, well, do we really need five at the back against Millwall? Because they're doing absolutely nothing. And, and to be honest, I thought Millwall look, looked like a League One team for... I'd say probably 50, 60 minutes of this game. And yeah, like it was going to be a comfortable win. Um, but uh, I can't say that this was a, a hugely effective change, even if Medine ended up getting the only goal for us. What, what did you make of this one? It's going to be a pod exclusive and I am going to be castigated from the United fan base because I completely disagree with what Wilder did and said afterwards. Go on then. I don't think that was the right decision at all. And it's easy, isn't it, in hindsight to sit and say that. And Medine got the goal. And Medine played quite well. Mm. Um, so I agree with that. This is where there's a trade-off for me. Um, I'm not saying that I know better than Chris Wilder because I don't. Let's make that clear. I just think that in hindsight, that was the wrong call. And that's fair enough. He's made millions of right ones, which I would never have done, which is why he's a manager. But Medine playing well and United playing well are not the same thing. Yeah. So what that change did is it almost made us go into tactically. I, I've watched the game since. I've watched it again. I've looked at the kind of the, the match report that kind of Y Scout do. Looks at all the average formation positions and the pass networks. All this stuff. We went to a kind of four three one two. So as you said, McGoldrick McGoldrick was nominally the number ten, but ended up dropping deeper. And if he was deeper, Duffy went into the ten. But I did. What ended up happening is we had a really narrow three in midfield. Mm. Because even McGoldrick or Duffy was playing in that midfield area. Norwood obviously does what he does in that kind of quarterback central role. And then Fleck was allowed to burst on. And sometimes he went left wing. Sometimes he went left channel. But it ended up being quite narrow. 
And the reason it was narrow is because our fullbacks, because they were playing in a four, so they weren't wingbacks, w- were not able to go up the pitch the whole time. Because Millwall actually, if you look at Millwall's average positions, their fullbacks and their wingers are high in our half. Yeah, I so, said they were in the uh, box for most of the second half. Yeah, exactly, because they lived in our half and our penalty box. So actually, they they were just able to push us back because it became a two on one out wide, basically. Yeah, which is what you talked about with the overloads at the back post, which Millwall cut on to quite well. But every time the fullbacks I saw, and even when we had good pressure and were playing generally well, they were looking. They had the ball and they were holding it, looking for an overload looking for a centre-back coming round on the overlap, looking for someone making an inside run. And it wasn't there, because that's not what that formation does. Um, which is why we ended up with, I, I tweeted out the pass network, it's why we ended up with, we never have that many central passes. We, we just don't. Yeah. No, but in, in terms of playing them between the midfield three, we never have it. And we didn't progress the ball anywhere. Because it, it, there, was no, there was no width, there was no pace to it. It was all very stagnant, very slow. The only time we ever progressed, really, is if we went a little bit more direct. Medina or went on the Fleck goal, for example. McGoldrick dropped off, and I'm still not sure that was a good pass. I think it was a pass. <laughs> a defen- some defensive uh, hesitancy allowed Fleck yeah, to get it was, onto it, I think. Exactly. Um, um, it's the first time that, and I agree, Fleck was better, and you know that's the Fleck we love, and, and now bursting into space and carrying past the player and setting a goal up. You know, And that was the first time we did that, but... I couldn't see a cohesive plan to what we were doing. And, mm. and then after the game, I think Wilder was I think Wilder was probably right in, in, in probably throwing the players under the bus somewhat and saying that they didn't listen to instruction because that formation was set up to go direct and for midfielders to pick up second balls. Yeah. But that's what that formation was designed to do. It was designed to go centrally and direct early because you can't build the play in that formation if you're Sheffield United. We don't have the pace or athleticism to do so. Mm. Kieran Freeman, for all his attributes, is not fast. So you're asking a, a non-fast right-back who isn't the most fit in, in terms of doing that for 90 minutes to bomb up and down the right wing, defending under pressure and then providing attacking support when he's never used to doing that because he always has Chris Basham inside and outside of him and he always has a number 10 inside of him as well. So, it, you know, to summarise, I, I just didn't think it worked at all despite us going 1-0 up, despite us having a decent spell of pressure for the first 10 minutes of the second half. I didn't think that worked at all in terms of setting us up to, to do what we normally do and to dominate the game. It, it seems like it had moments where it worked, but generally it was off the cuff moments, just like the goal. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't a you know that wasn't plan. That wasn't a system. That was just an off the cuff thing from McGoldrick dropping off, trying to work passes, it miss hit it into space. I'm not having that. That was a pass. It just wasn't. And, and Fleck burst onto it and did a little bit of magic and you know a little bit of change of pace and, and all of a sudden we broke a line and we were in. That, I, I don't think we created anything really of, of no. No, not really. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned uh, uh, Wilder's comments there and uh, and I think he literally said throwing players under the bus because yeah he was in his actual post match thing as well. He was saying you know the players went backwards and they took the safe option and you know if they weren't progressing up the pitch we weren't trying to score and. It's frustrating to hear that he's not able to change that, but also, like, what on earth happened? Like, how? Why? I mean, a really, um, a really good tweet from uh, our buddy S Two Stats uh, says that tiredness was potentially at the root of it. Possibly a mistake in retrospect to play some of the players that put in a shift on Wednesday. Tiredness fed caution, and that led to disorganisation. And I think that definitely, definitely was a part of it. I mean. Do you do you know how many shots we had after we took the lead? So we scored in the fifty-first minute. Do you know how many top shots we took for the rest of the game? 
I'm going to guess two. It was three. So in like, what, 45 minutes, basically? Because there was five, yeah. uh, five or six minutes injury time. That's pathetic, frankly, yeah, against Millwall. And we only played with 10 men for 10 minutes. Um, only six crosses in that whole time and only 56 passes in the final third. I mean, that's not Sheffield United. I don't know. I, I, this is part of my frustration is I don't understand what happened in it's, those last 40 minutes. There, there has been... And I spoke about it, I think, before the Bristol City pod. Broke down kind of our XG per game pre and post Villa and saying how we were creating less, but we were more clinical and defending defending better, which was giving us results, but not necessarily performances. And I, I think we went through that. And at the time, I thought fixture bias had played a big part. West Brom, Leeds, Brentford with the 10 men. I thought all that may have played a big part and we were going to get back to this. But there's clearly a concurrent theme now where we are off the boil completely in an attacking sense. Mm. Um and defensively, it's catching up with us because we're not able to keep clean sheets every game because no side at this level does that. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and it's there is S two he's nailed it with the fatigue. I think that was an issue, no doubt. But there is there is a bravery issue here in terms, and I don't mean bravery in terms of going for big tackles. That's not what I that I don't care about that in bravery in football. It's great a big tackle, but it doesn't doesn't get you points. Mm. You know, unless it's a goal saving block or something, or unless it's Chris Basham slide tackling it into the net. It's bravery on the ball is what I'm interested in. So so when you one nil up in a pressure cooker situation, not playing that well, who's going to lift the head? Who's going to be composed? Who's going to play balls forward? Who's going to push up the pitch and play a higher line to get us 10 yards further up? Who's going to get hold of it, take it on a dribble, beat a man, and just pin the opposition back so that we actually keep them off us? And no one did that. No, yeah. no one did that whatsoever. There is no denying that we, since that West Brom game, then the Leeds 1-0 win, the Preston 1-0, and these great rear guard action performances where we, we've scored a goal um, you know and I'm not saying we, we play poorly offensively in their games but predominantly have been in the back foot especially for Leeds and West Brom you know it, it was more about defending wasn't it, it you know mm. we may have had the odd chance but it was more about keeping them out there's no denying that there has been a cautious approach to Sheffield United in, in more recent times where we have found a newfound defensive celerity and we are playing on that and it's mm. caught up with us Um in the last five games, we've only won the XG battle once. Right. So what that tells you is, you know, you look over a season, yeah, Sheffield United's XG is great. You look at recent form, it's not. We are producing enough to score a goal a game, which is predominantly what we're doing. Um, you know, even Bristol, we scored two. But what we're not doing is we're not winning that battle. We're not creating more chances than the opposition. We're certainly not creating better chances than the opposition. Um, our shots from the penalty area and six-yard box in terms of non-block shots, are decreasing massively. Our chances created just generally per game are decreasing massively. We're, we're relying more and more on set pieces, mm. um, you know, for chances. And it's from open play in the last five games, we are mid to lower in the championship in terms of chance creation. Which is not that great. Is, <laughs> it's not, it, it's, that's, a, and it's fact, so you have to say it, but that's a really worrying concern for me. Um, because if one thing XG has taught us, it, it can change quickly. Look at Sheffield Wednesday. But it's it's also showing what things are going on underlying the, the scoreline, if you will. And, yeah. And there I is mean, issue in terms of getting hold of the ball and creating chances. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, the, the sort of most optimistic take is uh, here, here is this is like a reset point of like, hopefully, after that Millwall game, Wilder nil players will be like we have to get back to where we are 
we can't be playing with this level of caution. Um, sorry, where we were earlier in the season, we can't be playing with this level of caution. You know, we're gonna we're gonna play to our actual strengths, which is this. Um, you know, the system with the wing backs. You know, we're gonna try and control the ball in the final third, and yeah, just just try and get back to that. I mean, this is probably going a bit far, but yeah, in some ways, it's almost better for us to be out of the automatic running sooner rather than later if you know what I mean like I'd yeah, rather yeah. I'd rather we were eliminated from that in the next game or two than on the last day of the season because at least then we'll have chance to like just get set for the playoffs I'm not talking about in that like oh we'll be emotionally crushed on the last game of the season the things you just said are very real concerns that are becoming bigger trends rather than like just a couple of games because we were playing with 10 men or we were playing the best home team in the league, Absolutely. that kind of thing. Absolutely. They are they are becoming bigger trends that will carry on into the playoffs unless we can do something about it. So, yeah, I, I just hope, this is my ultimate optimistic take, that uh, Friday against Forest, we yeah just can just get back to somewhere like we were a couple of months ago, a month ago, I guess. I think that's key. I think that's nailed it, mate. Um, you know, it's not, we're not, no, fans can't give up anyway because we're not on the pitch and we will always go and sing and shout and cheer the team on. So, we're not, you know, we'll support the team and we will always live in hope of, of automatic and lead slipping up and us going and winning four games or whatever it needs to get the points. You know, no one's giving up here. Yeah. What we're saying is because of the trend that's been set recently, because of the results um, and the performances dropping off, forget about anything. We just need to go out there against Forest and play as Sheffield United have done to get us to this point. Um, you have to be adaptable in this league. Of course you do. You can't go to Leeds away uh, and, and go and dominate because you'll concede. Yeah. So that's fine to go to Leeds away and go to West Brom away and get brilliant results on the back of great defending and some clinical finishing. Mm. It, it, it's, it's getting that approach right for the right games. And, and it's important that this Forest side are at bang out of form bang out of confidence. They're inconsistent. They don't like travelling. I know it's, I don't mean distance, I mean away from home. They're, they're pretty poor under O'Neill. They've got some good players, of course they have, but, you know, this is, a, the, team cohesion-wise, they're not the greatest. This this is a, a good time for me to be playing them. As you say, set the reset button. Go and get the ball. Go and press them hard. Go and play high up the pitch. Go and create chances. Go and score goals. Uh, and just forget about the overriding picture here. Just go and beat Forrest. Yeah, which which we should have more than enough to do. I mean, they are uh, one of the uh, one of the teams who are furthest away from their uh, expected position in the XG tables. I believe uh, does that tally up with your um, your own model? I see Infogol have them as twentieth best team, and they're currently sitting twelfth or something like that. Yeah, they're um, overperforming massively. Yeah, they're overperforming. In, uh, in mid-table and eight points off the playoffs. They've lost their last three, which includes Rotherham and Blackburn. Um, there's no reason this shouldn't be a comfortable win for us, apart from what we saw in the last game. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that... <laughs> this is a funny thing, isn't it? If you're not going to win on Friday, I'm not, sure what, I'm not sure what time Leeds play. If they do play on Friday or if they play on Saturday... Do you know that one? Is that... I want to say I want to say they play three o'clock on Saturday. Uh, they do no, they play three o'clock on Friday. They got Wigan at home, so that's, pro- uh, that's probably that's, that's probably a gimme for them. But if United win against Forest, we're temporarily back into no second place. Yeah, this is the thing about not giving up, isn't it? And Wigan Wigan went to Norwich, and I know Norwich are in a little bit cruise control, and they've dropped off, but they got a point away at Norwich. Um, 
Yeah, it was, was Wigan away tonight, wasn't it? Wigan, uh, it, was, it was at Wigan, but yes, you're, you're right. They, they, got, they got a draw with them this weekend. Yeah, uh, Reading went there as well. And, and the annoying, the most annoying thing about not having recent results is how much both of us would have reeled Norwich in. I know. Um, you know, yeah. recently. Leeds are only four points behind. Certainly, them, Leeds are probably thinking, "Hang about, we can win the championship." I, I think massively. I, honestly, I think massively. Leeds will be looking at this, thinking they can go and win the title here. Yeah, I, I honestly think that. And not that Norwich are really, and I still think Norwich are a very good side, and they'll they'll clearly go up, and I think they'll win yeah. it. You know, it's a lot of points, even four to make up. But I think Norwich have got the odd harder fixture, um, and and they're clearly suffering slightly with a couple of suspensions and injuries uh, Buendia's out for them but it's just annoying because we would have reeled them in as well and it would have been a proper three-way race wouldn't it but yeah. it's you're right go and beat Forest, go and go second and all of a sudden the pressure is back on Leeds yeah. um, you know and we're gonna if nothing else what you want is the teams that Leeds are playing to play for something and we're gonna fight them for their life yeah just they, like Millwall were in uh, this one Exactly, because quite frankly, Reading are playing well down there. Rotherham, are, despite not getting the results, are really playing well. And they look like they can get points out of games, especially at home. So Wigan, regardless of how poor they are away, they know they need to go and pick up points from wherever they go. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, there is an element of that. And I can see why fans are saying, you know, you're stupid to be saying, get ready for the playoffs. Because it's just one, we're about to go second if we beat Forest. You know, and it, yeah. it does feel a little bit silly in hindsight saying it, but obviously you look at the overall situation. I just, I think, stop looking at league tables, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big culprit of this. Stop looking at fixtures. Just go, just go and beat Forest lads. Go and play how we play. Go. The blueprints there. Rotherham beat them the other week at home. The blueprints there. If you outwork Forest at this stage of the season, they don't live with you. Yeah. Just go, go and outwork them. Go and outrun them. Go and outpress them, and go and outplay them, and and go and get them three points, and then. Get some confidence back, build some momentum, and just see where it takes us. Yeah, I'm feeling more optimistic already. As bizarre as it is, I am looking forward to getting back to the lane on, uh, on Friday lunchtime. Um, we are a good side at bouncing back. We are a very good side at bouncing back. We've already done it with losing to Bristol and going and beating Preston. Yeah, um, you know, every time this side is questioned, especially by Wilder, it goes again. Yeah, and, I did. And, I did think that. Uh, you know, and I would expect a full-blooded response here. I expect us to go and blitz these in the first 15, 20 minutes and go and absolutely try and put the pressure on and hammer them. Um, and, and naturally, I think Medin will start, so we will go a little bit more direct. And that might even help in a game like this because it, the ball will be in their, their third a lot. Hopefully. Bring it on, mate. I know you didn't have much time today, so that's probably a, a, a good spot to finish, I reckon. You've, uh, you've got me all fired up now. So, yeah, ho- hopefully anybody listening to this, I, I think it was... Uh, uh, Jamie on Twitter said that this is going to be group therapy, and uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's made me feel better. Still frustrated, obviously, but yeah, it's good to good to just reset, I think, and uh, yeah, look forward to uh, a chance to right some wrongs on Friday. Any any final thoughts on on this game or uh, or looking ahead? No, I'd like you just looking forward to it, mate. Uh, you know, it's going to be a scorcher in, in Sheffield on Friday. It's bank holiday weekend. Forest is always a good game, regardless of league positions and whatnot, because it's you know it's just quite a close rivalry. Mm. Uh, you know, and we go early. It's nice, nice to go early in the early kickoff, like you say, because the optimism can all come back if we win. And it's my birthday the day after, so. Oh, nice! Happy birthday in advance. Um... Cool, mate. All right, let's 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 leave it there. Uh, obviously, the game after that, which may or may not have anything riding on it, depending on what happens on Friday, is uh, is Holloway on Monday, which I'm also going to. So hopefully we, we get a win on Friday and then that Monday game becomes even more meaningful 
and exciting. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where we are, I suppose. But yeah, thanks very much, buddy. I will uh, catch up with you later, and hopefully uh, see you on Friday. All right, mate. Thanks, mate. Nice one. Cheers. Bye bye.